All right. Can you hear me? I always say that because I have a small head. Derek's head is bigger than mine. And I feel like this thing bounces around and I got it in the wrong place. Um, so there's another thing about me you didn't know. I have a small head. It's, here it is. Um, happy Father's Day. My dad is 61 years old. I'm 42. Uh, he was 19 when I was born. He served in the Air Force. He was airline mechanic for Northwest Airlines for 20 years, and now he's a semi-truck driver. Uh, he, he is one of the hardest working men. I know he loves me. He loves Jesus. Dad, if you hear this, I love you. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Uh, there's a couple things I want to tell you. We were supposed to have a, uh, a special speaker this morning with us, Chuck MacArthur from Equipping Leaders International. He's the uh, executive director. But Thursday night, he called Dan and said that he was feeling very sick and was not able to come. And so that means you get Pastor Dave. <laughs> However, that might not be a good thing because a, a Pastor Dave with a very short amount of time per, to prepare could be a problem. Two things could happen. One, this could be super short. <laughs> or two, it could be super long. <laughs> but guess what? It's Father's Day. I'm a dad. I'm going to do whatever I want. And you just have to take it. So, with that said, it's Father's Day, and uh, I'm going to start with some dad jokes. And you are obligated to laugh. So if you are here and you haven't gotten your dad a gift and you're like, what does dad want? Dad wants whatever you're willing to give him. Golf ball, shirt, coffee mug. He doesn't care. What he really wants is for you to just laugh or attempt to laugh his jokes. <laughs> So, do me a solid and laugh at my dad jokes. All right, number one, I'm afraid for the calendar. Its days are numbered. <laughs> Why do dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. Hey! Singing in the shower is fun until you get soap in your mouth. Then it's a soap opera. <laughs> that one is dumb. This one is good, though. What do a tick, like a blood-sucking tick, in the Eiffel Tower have in common? They're both parasites. Get it? Parasites? <laughs> I thought that one was funny. This one makes me really laugh. Uh, what do a, you call a fish wearing a bow tie? A fish with a bow tie. Sophisticated. <laughs> I read that one to the, my kids, and they laughed a little bit, but I think it's so funny. <laughs> Fishtigated, that's so dumb. This one was, should probably be the last one, but I'm not doing it last, because uh, this was, might be the funniest one. I don't know, you tell me. Uh, how do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the Fresh Prince. Oh, I thought it was Marlo, yeah. He's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You are awesome for getting that one. Man, way to go. Um, you guys probably heard this one. If April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Pilgrims. Dang. All right, how about this one? I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. <laughs> Get it? You're eating too much and dad's clothes are getting smaller? Not me, though. I'm still a very fit, lean fireman, so my clothes are fit. Last one, since we're the ocean of grace, what did the ocean say to the beach? Nothing, it just waved. <laughs> Get it, the waves? Really dumb, but super fun for me, honestly. And I appreciate all of your laughing. So 
Uh, we are going, we're in our series in James, and since I had short preparation time, I felt like this real uh, pressure to like do like a God the Father uh, message, um, you know, because it's Father's Day and everything like that. But when I look at the last few uh, uh, verses of James, uh, I really felt like, yeah, this is what God wants to say for us today. You'll notice that uh, 19 through 27 has a very fatherly tone to it, and I kind of want us to, as we read it and, and go through it, to kind of look at it that way. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's do something. If you could stand, I'm going to read these passages. Let's, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'd be holding the big pretty Bible, but I didn't sleep much last night, and I can't see the tiny words. So this is James 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at himself in the, his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word, world, not word. Have a seat. Thank you. <laughs> so you see, uh, I mean, we could, I could, that's, I could just, we could just read that and go home, but I can't make it that short. Because um, I mean, James, right here. When I read it, I immediately thought in my mind I would change the first verse to my children, like my sons and my daughters. Like it just has this vibe, and it's in, there's some intense stuff in here, right? There's some. There's some very challenging words in that very short amount of time. There's a lot, preacher guys like to call it, like, you need to unpack, you know, we need to unpack the scripture. But it's a good descriptive word for what we're dealing with in these passages. There's a lot to dig through. And uh, to be honest with you, some of this stuff I'm saying is going to be a little uncomfortable and challenging, but not bad. Uh, here, I'll just put it out there. The most challenging part is probably doing what the Bible says. It says, don't just merely listen, do it, right? Because our hearts go a lot of different ways. Like we, you know, some... Do we feel condemned, condemned from that? Like, I'm not doing enough for God. I'm not acceptable for God. And then you got the other camp. Well, like, well no, it's not about works. It's about grace. I've been saved by grace. And it, it's, it's a very challenging thing uh, to hear as a Christian. And, and, and I think as a dad, I've said things like this before uh, uh, to my children. It reminded me of, of things I've said to them. Like, uh, like in the first verse, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I've literally, my, my, some of my kids are here, I, I, there's been times where I have stopped them and been like, listen to all the words that are coming out of my mouth and do that, you know, like, but I don't know if James is as mad as I am. I'm not like a tyrant. It's not like my, I want my kids to just do everything I say. It's like they're, I'm trying to teach them. I'm trying to guide them. I'm their dad, and I notice they're making decisions and doing things that are gonna harm them, so I'm like, listen to me. Do these things things. And, it, and I felt that when I was reading this. And that first verse is very uh, amazing to me because I think James put it in that order on purpose because I think we do the exact opposite, right? I think we are quick to get angry, quick to talk, 
and really slow to listen to anybody, especially when we're mad. And the more I thought about, thought about it, like angry, human anger, I mean, there's people been mad lately, like really mad. Like for the last, it feels like the last year and a half, two years, there are a lot of anger just stirring. The pandemic, all the uh, social injustices that people are upset about. And I wonder, like, I, and it happened in the church, not Ocean City Church only particularly, but the church in the United States. Like the, I think the pandemic and what we've been dealing with has exposed something in us that we didn't realize was there. And uh, can you imagine, I thought about this too, can you imagine as before the pandemic when we were deciding mask, no mask, meetings, no meetings, uh, all that stuff, if we would have just all, those that are Christians, if we would have just heard God say those things to us first, be slow to anger, quick to listen before we got on social media, right? Because let's be honest, people got upset with each other quick. The Christians got upset with each other quick. And you know, I'm, I, I don't think this, like, social media is a bad thing, but we got mad. People got mad. They didn't want to hear anyone else speak, and human anger was rising up in people. They might, this might make you feel a certain type of way, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but if we were to be honest, every one of us probably got caught up in something like that, and it's so easy to do in today's world because of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those things, and they're not bad. Like, like I said, they're not bad, but a lot of good comes from social media, but I think it's also a playground for the unbridled tongue. Like the tongue can just go crazy there, right? Like you, there's, there's like no safeguards, there's no leashes, in some cases very little consequences for the tongue when we talk through Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram or whatever the other ones are. Uh, in fact, I think oftentimes it fuels the human anger. We get more mad the more we get on there and we read and we're like, oh, you know, like it stirs up all this this stuff in us, and we, you know, we get to this place, and we'll, you'll hear more later in the book of James where it talks about the tongue has the power of life and death in it. And there's, here you see this unbridled tongue. We can't keep reins on it and how destructive uh, that it can be. And we can, you know, sadly, I think we can sound religious and full of, full of assurance that we're saying things right, but ultimately, maybe we're just convincing ourselves that we're, we're, our righteousness is God's right. You know, maybe that's our human tendency is, is to do that. You know, like we, we and we get mad at us and we think that what we're saying is right, but ultimately, let's take a big, let's look at this whole thing with all the stuff people have been upset about over the last few years. And I don't need to get into it because I don't want anybody to get upset. Uh, but really, I mean, if we, human anger does not, if you, any anger born from the human heart, God does not accept. He says it. He doesn't accept it. Why? He says it in verse, verse 20. Because human anger does not produce righteousness. And I think James is pointing out our tendency to think that we're right. But what I contend this morning for us, make you feel a little bit better, I think the human anger just exposes what's really in our hearts. Right? Scripture says, out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Like it says in Luke 6, 45, a good man brings things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings things out, evil out of the stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Human anger, anger born in the human feelings and in the inside of a human exposes what's really in our heart. And so you see James, like a dad, calling to us, hey, what's causing your, it's a call to self-examination of the heart. 
That's really what these verses are. It's actually amazing. Humbly accept the word which has been planted in you. You go to God humbly. You examine your heart. You examine your motives. You humbly accept him. You can't examine yourself before God if you're not in a humble state, right? This can only be done with the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what it is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit is there to convict us, to guide us, to lead us. He's the, he's, he's the Father. He's the representative in our hearts of, of the Father. And he leads us to this point where we self-examine our heart and say, what's the root of my anger? Why is this coming out of me? Is it really because I'm right and I feel like I need to stand up for God somehow? What's the issue? Out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. Look, it says it. We all fight the pollution of the world. We're polluted. The pollution in our own hearts, right? Yeah, we might be Christians, we might be saved, but we still are in the world and we're fighting the same things that the rest of the world is dealing with and it affects us. It's hard. And what is this this, this thing that we're all dealing with? The scriptures here say it. It's the moral filth and evil that's so prevalent. In other words, sin, sin. Preacher people have been saying this for 2,000 years. The problem is sin. We have a sin problem. Sin has destroyed us. Sin has destroyed the human race. I've got this old landscaper truck I'm trying to fix back up that my mom was using and the AC went out in it. And I called my buddy Jimbo and he's a mechanic. Yeah, his name's Jimbo. Uh, Of course he would be a mechanic. And I asked him about the compressor, right? Like, how should I buy this piece? And he told, this is what he said. He was like, I try to tell people this all the time. The air conditioner compressor in your car from the first time you turn on the key and it functions, it's dying. Every day from that point on, it's slowly dying. And that's us. That's what we experience. Sin, we have a sin nature. We've, sin has destroyed us. And even though we walk in this world, we're slowly dying. We have a sin problem and so does, so does the world. Look, just these first three verses, 19 through 21, are an amazing picture of the gospel, right? Think about it. There is nothing in me, there's nothing in you that you can produce. There's no amount of production that you can do or I can do to make the world right. We can't. We can't even fix our own sin. We can't even make our own selves right. It's been polluted, it's corrupted, it's evil and sin, and so are we. Those things have happened to us and they still affect us to this day. The only one, the only thing that can save us, save our hearts, save this world, is that word planted in us. And what is that word? What is that gospel? It is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He alone can produce righteousness. He alone can produce salvation. He alone can make the wrong things right. I cannot, either can you. We need him. And him only. He's the answer to the problem. Sorry for the intensity. I was a little sleepy. But how can you not talk about the truth of the gospel and not get stirred up? Right? Like this is the truth of the gospel. This is why we're sitting in this this chair today. We see the reality on some level, the value of, of meeting together, but also the gospel. Right? Now look, I got all stirred up about the anger thing and made you feel a little weird. I'm going to feel a little bit weird. If Sarah was in here right now, she would laugh at that, but that's dumb. But she's, that's why we, our marriage is so good, because she laughs at all those stupid jokes. 
Now, I'm not saying that if you get angry, you should never get angry again, and if you do, you're sinning, you angry sinners. No, right? Like, that's not what the Bible is saying. There are many injustices around us that should make us mad. The things that people are mad about, they should be mad about. They should be angry about. They should be upset about, right? Like, they're not, it's not wrong to get mad at these things. In fact, Scripture teaches us, Jesus himself teaches us that we should act, that we should do, that we should care, that we should stand up to injustice. Luke 10, you heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? One of those famous scriptures in the Bible, parables in the, the Bible, I'm not gonna put it up there, I'll just give you a quick synopsis. These, these religious guys come to Jesus, they say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They've been saying it for, forever, love your neighbor, or love God with all your heart, love your neighbor. So this guy says, okay, who's my neighbor? It's like a setup question to Jesus. Jesus tells a story. There's a man headed on his way from one road, one town to the other, he gets beat up, beat up by robbers and left on the side of the road to die. The first two people that walk by are a priest and a Levite, which are very religious people. They purposely walk on the other side of the road so that they do not have to see the injustice laying, beaten, and dying on the ground. They don't want to see because we all know if we look at it, we are responsible now. We have to act if we look. If If we turn a blind eye, we don't see it, we stay ignorant, we don't have to do anything. But as soon as we view it, we are, we, we, we are moved to do something. And he says, then a good Samaritan comes, who the Jewish people did not like very much. So that's, this would have stirred them up quite a bit. The, the good Samaritan walks by, sees the injustice, is moved, does something, and continues to do it at great cost to himself. This is scripture. This is Jesus. They, this, which one was the neighbor is what he tells them. And the guy said, well, the guy that helped, he goes, go and do likewise. So I'm not saying that if you get angry, that's not wrong to be angry at injustice. We should be acting. What I think James' fatherly advice to us is this. I think he's pointing it out that we should not allow our anger to dictate how we respond to the things we are confronted with in today's world. We as Christians are different. Yes, we can get upset. Yes, we should be moved. Yes, we should do something, but we should not allow human anger to dictate how we respond. We've been giving a new approach. Human anger will only make us want to take revenge and vengeance, right? Human-born anger wants to try to fix things themselves, and we realize that we can't. Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. God's role is the vengeance. He is the one that's gonna make all these paths straight, not us. He says, I'm giving you a new way to approach those that follow me and serve me. We are called to approach it from what scripture says and not what we say or how we feel. We've been giving this new approach. Uh, Some people call it, we've been given a new law, the law of Christ, and we should examine this, right? The self-examination continues in these verses. This is is beautiful. 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law or word, the perfect law is Jesus, the word of God, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, will be blessed by what they do. Dude, let's, the Bible, 
Sometimes it just blows my mind. What an amazing analogy of the heart, the mirror. It is easy to forget what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to reflect, what we're supposed to look like as sons and daughters of the Father when we don't intently look at our hearts with Jesus and find Christ there. Go to your heart. Those of you that have made a profession of faith, you, in the self-examination, it's not a condemnation thing. It's, it's a humble time that you try to spend with God. You go, and what will you find when you literally go to the soul, your, the, your heart, to your soul, you find Christ there. And I would contend, that's why, why James is saying, look into the mirror of your heart. You that are Christians, you, my children, see Jesus there, hear him speaking to you, and do what he says. He's been giving you a new approach. Now, if you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, it's it's all there. This new approach that I'm, I'm referencing, uh, Matthew 5, it's amazing. It's probably the, probably the greatest message there's ever been, and it literally is a walkthrough of what's known as press progressive sanctification. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, you need to leave here or, and go read it at some point today. Right? Just read it. You know, I can't tell you what to do. Matthew 5, uh, just one part. He says, you have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So Jesus is telling them, yeah, the world, there used to be an, an old way to respond to these things. You love the neighbor, but you hate this. I am telling you, I'm giving you a new way, a new approach. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's all over Matthew 5. It's amazing. You got to go read it. He says things, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, we've been given a new, new approach from Jesus he makes all things new. He makes us new, and he gives us a new approach to this world. Now, I say all that to say this. You're, we're going to do something, right? At some point, somebody's going to stand up and do something when we're mad, when, we're, when these things are happening. Eventually, something has to be done. I think James is just reminding us that we should not do it with our human anger, not allow that to dictate our approaches, but let Scripture, let what Jesus teaches us, be our guide. Let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and do it that way. And I think these types of actions, works, behaviors will if reflect Jesus to those around us. I, and here's what, so same metaphor. So when the world looks into the mirror of the Christian or the mirror of the church, they will see the gospel when we behave this way and not just religion. Let me say it again. When they look into the mirror of the church, of us, you and me, they will see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and not just religious people, right? Now, there, now this is not an, like I attacked social media, sorry, uh, and I'm not attacking religion either. I'm a preacher, religious, you know? Like, I, it's not a bad thing. Religion is not bad, there is value in religious acts. That's why we all came here today. Shoot, I asked you guys to all stand up to honor the word of God. Every single one of you did it. We see the value in religious acts. Coming together corporately like this to worship God together. It's valuable. It does something to us. God wants us to be here. Uh, uh, listening to a loudmouth guy talk about the Bible. There might be a little bit of value in there, I don't know. Uh, having people come up and letting them pray for you, you praying for other people, gathering together, loving one another. Corporately, these things are good. Having Bible studies. There is extreme value in doing these things. They're valuable. But James takes it a next step for us. Here we see James calling us not to allow this to be the ex extent of our religion. Our religion and faith should cause us to also see the value in doing, like James is talking about, doing the things that Jesus teaches. Doing what? What, for example, I mean, he gave two really 
intense examples, to be honest with you. Orphans and widows. Those are his examples from James, but this, there, there could be a bunch of them. Really, it comes down to loving those who need, the fatherless, the widow, loving your neighbor as yourself. And what if we were more about that? Man, wouldn't it, if the Christians were more about this kind of stuff all of the time, when they looked into the mirror of our church, the mirror of the Christian, man, what would they say? What would they see? I've said this kind of thing before, but can you imagine if there were so many Christians at the Carver Center doing homework with kids from single-parent homes that people were like plastering it all over social media? Every, I mean, what would they say about the Beaches churches if they were doing that? Or there are, the, the battered women's centers have so many, so many clothes, so many hygiene products, so many co- people coming just to pray what would they say about the church of Jesus? What would it reflect? Would it look more like Jesus if the mission house was, could, could get on social media and say, all the beaches churches have fully funded us for food for the next six months? I mean, can you imagine? Why could it not be that way? What if we were more about that? What if we were just more about that? Now look, I know that's a bunch of work stuff and nobody wants to get in the works thing, but it's not, this is not a works-based statement and I'm gonna finish this whole thing with scripture to prove that to you, that that's not what this is saying. Your works do not get you any points into heaven. You can't do enough to be acceptable to God. You can't. That's why Jesus died on the cross. This is a reminder from Father James to imitate, copy, reflect Jesus, love your neighbor. Let's show the world that yes, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are from another place. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us to love like Jesus, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But here, you guys can say it if you want. I'm gonna say it. You probably thought it or said it. Too often the accusation against the church is when the, the world looks at the church, they see it polluted. The world looks at the Christian and often sees that they just look like everybody else. There's no difference, it just looks religious. Even though we see the value in the religious things that we do, without the, without the religious acts and the doing and the faith being married, our reflection gets a little muddy and it looks a little polluted. Like I said, some of this stuff would be hard to hear, but it doesn't have to be. No, and so what happens when it stays like that, where we don't, the marriage isn't happening there, people start saying things like this, and I have said this before. Well, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. <laughs> it's like, I, I know I've said it. Like, like somehow I've elevated myself out of religiosity and I am spiritual, which is much better than religious. No, it's not, it's the same thing. What's the difference, right? It just sounds like I've, recognize with my own words that there's a problem there. And I don't want to be a part of that problem, but I am. No, it's not bad to be religious. I already told you that it is good. It is designed, it's all over the Bible, but when the religious stuff, so think of it like this, the religious stuff that we need and get so much out of are more complete and more valuable when it's married to the doing that James has called us to. And I believe when we begin to function like that, that's when we really become the hands and feet of Jesus to a polluted and unjust world. We become vessels of his kindness and his goodness. It says in 2 Corinthians, jars of clay. You've heard of that, jars of clay? God, I love that. I love that analogy because my Christianity feels like that. 
Maybe yours doesn't, but sometimes mine just feels like this fragile pot that just could break at any time. Like I'm holding it and I'm trying to put all the works in there and it's just like this whole thing's gonna crumble if one thing bumps into me, right? Like it feels that way, but here's the difference. I can put the works in there, but God is the one carrying me in the pot. He's holding those things. They're his. They're not my works. I'm not doing anything to make myself more acceptable him. I'm just doing things that he's put in me to reflect his glory to a dying and hurting world. Jars of clay, man. It's entirely God carrying, carefully carrying me and using me, carefully carrying you and using you. So, this is a, this is a dumb analogy, but it's a safe one based on the text. If you don't know, I had a landscaping company for like five years, and uh, me and my best friend from high school, we started, it was called Summer Services Lawn Care dumb name. He wanted that. I don't know why we picked it. And he was like the money guy and I was the, uh, what'd you call him? Yard dog guy. I was the guy that did the work. So he bought all, he bought all the gear. Yeah. Like the mower and the stuff. And, I, and we were going to start it. So our first year we sent out mailers. We got 25 yards. So on my off days from the fire department, I was the lawn mow guy. So I'd load up my stuff and I'd never, if you've never done landscaping as a vocation, it is very hard. It is like a very good picture of life. It's like you're constantly running. You're trying to beat the weather. You're hoping things work. You're super hot. You need to take breaks, but you don't have time for the breaks because it's going to rain. And you're trying to get all the work done. And you're answering the phone and dealing with people and making sure you get paid and paying your own bills. It is tough stuff, right? So I, we get our first 25 yards. Most of them were in Sawgrass, Pontevedra, and Nocatee. Uh, those early years. And so here's me, Yard Dog Dave, like, woo, all right, let's go. I'm gonna do my thing. And I'd had no idea what I was getting into. I was so bad at this at first. The first yard I ever mowed, I had brand new, still $600 uh, a weed eater. And the backyard, there was a little pond. I was weeding against the pond. I tripped over a cypress tree root and I threw my whole uh, edger in the pond. <laughs> first yard. I was like, no. Like I'm crawling against the pond, like, come here. $600. Guess what? It still worked. It's amazing. Great, great tools. I recommend them. Uh, so this, the story I'm going to tell you, I want to remind you that this isn't me saying that I'm awesome. This is being, be ashamed of my behavior, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. So uh, these two, I had these two houses near Ponte Vedra Boulevard, right across each street from each other. And there were two very older ladies in them, widows, the one on the west side was like 88, and the one on the left side was 92, and I can still remember her name. Her name was Virginia. And I hated, I mean, hated going to their houses. Yards were huge. The lady on the west side, she had a giant pond back there. And I mean, no kidding. Like the first week I'm weed eating that thing, I laid down, and it was so hot. I was like, I'm gonna die. I'm a fireman. And I'm like, with the weed eater, like it's so hard. Laid down in these ladies' yard. I didn't know she was watching me, but I laid down. Oh, you know, and that same pond, landscaping is very dangerous. There was an alligator in that pond that was very far, but it was so large that when I saw it, I immediately felt fear because I knew he could eat me. So like I'm dodging uh, alligators and getting too hot. And this lady was, so she, they, they would both wait for me to show up and totally just waste all of my time. I mean, the, the lady on the west side, she was a smoking machine. 
She would sit out there, which was made it even worse, and watch me the whole time and just, I mean, four packs easy in 45 minutes. Just, <laughs> and so she would talk to me and like stop me and you're like, I mean, you're soaking wet and sweat, dirty, and me being Christian Dave, I wanna be like nice to her at first. And uh, she's like, so like they just keep on, can you come in here and move a chair? I can't get the light bulb to work in the garage. And you're like, lady, I'm a landscaper, I'm not a... I'm not your husband, I don't know what this is, you know? I know you're a widow and I feel bad, the Bible says to care, but my apologies. Um, so like at first, it, so it just kept getting worse. Well, the smoker lady, one day she's like, she came out and she goes, I made you some cookies, a treat. And I'm like, that's so sweet. She hands me the plate of cookies. It smells exactly like cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, did she grind up cigarette butts in these cookies? And she's just looking at me like, do you wanna taste it? And I'm like, Terrible. It's like I ate a cigarette. I might as well just took a cigarette and just chewed on that. And she's just looking at me like, is it so good? And I'm like, so good. I'm just letting as much of it just fall out so I don't have to ingest it. Uh, But here's the thing. They were killing me. I just didn't want to go there. Across the street, Virginia was even worse. She was 92, lived in that house for like 60 years, had the oldest fig tree in the entire world in her backyard. She would give me bags of figs. Here you go, David. And I I actually like figs now. But she, dude, I almost hit her with a lawnmower every day. I'd be, you know, the zero turns where you're just like, she would, those things are loud. I'd turn around, she'd be right there. I'm like, Virginia, I almost cut your leg off. Watch out, you know? But I didn't yell at her. You can't yell at old ladies. That's terrible. And uh, they would just, just, every time I come, they would just wear me out, and I have lost all patience. So this day, Virginia, she's like, I've made you a pie. And I'm like, oh, God, after cigarette cookies, what is this going to be? <laughs> I mean, I move furniture for her. I, I called bill collectors for her. And I'm like, I'm at my wits end this day. It's hot, I'm wet, I just wanna go home. I go in the house, I sit in the kitchen next to her and she's like, here's the pie. And I'm like, yeah. And she's staring at me, she's like, mm. and I like take the bite, I put the pie in my mouth. And I'm like, I don't know what she did to this pie, but she did not put all the ingredients in there. <laughs> it looks like pie, it tastes like cardboard. And she's like, I, is it so good? And I'm like, yes. you know, like, just gross, like it was so bad, and I finally was like, I didn't yell at this lady, I promise, but I was just like, Virginia, I've gotta go outside and finish my landscapes. You know, like, I gotta get away from you. You know, like, just, I'm just done, so I run out there, you know, I'm like, oh, it's gonna, the thunderstorm every time, you're like, God, why? I go to put the key in the lawnmower, no crank. I'm like, oh, you know, like so, human anger is just rising up. And uh, immediately, now this sounds very spiritual. If you don't know, I have adopted a child who was an orphan. So I turn the key, nothing works. I sit on it and I feel this, this feeling from God that says, so you're cool with orphans, but not so much with widows. And I was like, oh my gosh. So much conviction in that moment. And I took a deep breath And over the next few months, I just started to make myself, I'm like, I've been missing it. I've been missing it. I've been missing it. He's been putting these two widows in my life so that I could love them, that I could choose to give a little extra time to reflect his glory. I started spending time with them, moving more stuff, eating their cigarette cookies, (laughs) ate some gross eggs too. And so when the day finally came, really gross eggs, the day finally came that I was quitting these yards, Virginia her and I cried in her front yard. 
she, she literally asked me, and this is not a Dave is awesome story, this is God is awesome. I shared my faith with them, uh, the whole deal. None, neither one of them got saved. I'm not very good at sharing the faith, I guess, <laughs> that I know of. But she, she, we cried and she said, she said uh, will you still come back even, and see me even if you, don't, uh, if you don't do the yard? And I was like, yeah, Virginia, I'll come by. <laughs> not spiritual, I was like, no way, I'm never coming here again. But here's the point of that dumb but safe story. Now listen to this. This is the point of today's message. God was not trying to produce in me works to make me more acceptable to him. He was trying to produce in me behavior that would reflect his glory and his goodness to those I encounter. But even these good works that he wants to empower me to do and you to do still belong to him. Ephesians 2, this is where we're gonna land. Like the rest of us, by nature deserving wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgression. By grace you have been saved. Grace you have been saved, not works. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness through Christ. Here it gets again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, this is a gift of God. Not by works, not by works, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now look at the connection point here. This is amazing. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works. You, me, those that have professed Christ, you are born again. You've been recreated. And in that process of recreation, God has created good works to flow out of you so that you, when the world looks at you, when the world looks at the church, you reflect God's goodness and his grace because there is only one that can save. There's only one that can produce righteousness and his name is Jesus, the King of Kings. Would you stand? Father God, we worship you, we honor you, God. We thank you that there is no one like you in all the universe, God. You hold all things, know all things, yet you still desire and long to be close to us. You need nothing, yet your love is bigger than anything we can imagine, God, that you, Jesus, are good. And God, and as you come near us today, God, we pray that you would you would hear our worship, you would hear our songs, God, and that you would be glorified. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.